Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They usually tend to be art house cinema or world cinema. Today's episode will be about the 1993 film The Secret Garden by director Agnieszka Holland. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, I am a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I'm someone who loves literature, art, and poetry. I'm very curious about the world around me, and my real passion in life, besides literature and cinema, is really knowledge and learning, and that's something that I really enjoy. My love of cinema it was really gradual and it's became and it's become much more intense since maybe 2011 that's when i got really interested in art house cinema i created this podcast as an outlet for me to share all my thoughts and feelings about these films that i watch this is a profoundly personal podcast it's a raw podcast it is a bit rough around the edges it it's maybe not the most stylish or the sleekest podcast that you've listened to, but I hope that I make up for that with the heart that I put into the podcast. And what I'm really trying to offer is myself, and I'm trying to approach cinema from a personal place and to weave together my personal experiences with the films that I watch. Because what is the point? What is the point of watching these films? If they don't have an effect on you, if they don't touch you or move you in some way, and that's what I'm trying to get at with the podcast. If you're new uh, to the podcast and you don't know what the title means, it comes from an email I sent a friend a few years ago. At the time, I was watching a lot of films, and I said, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And so I felt like that was the perfect phrase to describe my relationship with films, how I'm always thinking about them, how they become a part of me in many ways. Not every single film I watch has a profound impact on me, but some of them do, and those are the ones that I tend to like to talk about. This podcast does have a Patreon where you can financially support the podcast. I have a lot of dreams for it. I have a lot of things that I'd love to do. And if you would like to help me build this into something or, you know, if you just want to help financially support it, I would really appreciate it. I have a lot of rewards and extras that are available to you. You can find that at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And at one level, you get a shout-out in each episode. So I just want to do my shout-outs. And I'll give a shout-out to Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, Jesse, and Lindsay. Thanks so much for being patrons of the podcast. I'm really grateful, and I appreciate it more than, you know than I can ever say. And I really appreciate all of you who listen to the podcast, who maybe share it on social media, or who are just regular listeners every week. That means a lot to me. It's it's a strange feeling to know that there are a few people out there who 
care about what you have to say, you know, and, um, it's just strange because it's not something that I'm used to having in my life. I'm pretty invisible and inconsequential, um, in everyday life. And I really feel like a nobody. Um, so to know that there's a few people out there who listen to what I have to say and care about my opinions, that's a really meaningful thing for me to have some kind of voice, um, in the film world or, you know, the few of you who listen to the podcast, that means a lot to me. So as I said, today's uh, podcast episode is about The Secret Garden. It's from 1993. It's by Agnieszka Holland. Um, I love this film, and I really wanted to talk about it. I wanted to talk about a film from my childhood, and I wanted to talk about the experience of revisiting a film that you watched when you were very young. It was executive produced by Francis Ford Coppola. I don't know if a lot of people know that. It has a wonderful soundtrack by uh, Polish composer Zbigniew Preisner. And it's based on the really famous children's book by Francis Hodgson, Francis Hodgson Burnett, also called The Secret Garden. And another thing I love about this is that the screenplay is by a woman. Her name is Carolyn Thompson. So this is a film really with women involved in it. We've got a, a female director and we've got a woman who's written it. And I really seek out films like that that are either written, produced, or directed by a woman. I'm not going to say that every single film I watch is um, female-centric or 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 is or centers women, but I certainly try. It's very important to me. Even if a woman is maybe not directing or writing it or producing it, if a woman is the main character, that's also very important to me. And my podcast will always try to center women and raise their voices up and celebrate their stories. And um, so The Secret Garden is a film that I watched when I was very young. And when it came out, I was only four years old. I was born in 1989. I'm 28 now. And um, I don't know if I saw it when it came out when I was four years old, but I know that I saw it when I was very young. Um, at least by the age of 10, I had seen this film. And I actually have a somewhat vivid memory of seeing it um, I went when I went to my paternal grandmother's apartment. I remember one time it was on television, and I didn't get to see the whole film. And um, I remember being really upset about that, that I didn't get to finish it. Years later, when I was probably in my late teens or early 20s, I did get a DVD of it. I don't know if I still have it. I, I recently lost my house, and I had to move, and I could only really take what I could fit in a car. And so I've lost a lot of my books that I had accumulated over much of my life and a lot of the DVDs. I think I salvaged a few DVDs. But it was one of those where um, it's like a double-sided DVD. I got it years ago. Like one side was The Secret Garden, and then the other side was A Little Princess, which is another film that I really loved when I was a child. So, um, so it's just very interesting to sort of think about these films from your childhood, you know. And it was also really interesting this week. I had already planned to do this episode. It was actually 
chosen by patrons. I have a, a reward level where you get to vote on content that I cover on the podcast. And this was one of the options. I had three and the secret garden, it won out. There was actually a tie and I had to break the tie and I chose the secret garden because I really wanted to talk about this film. And it's interesting because this week I heard a really great song by an artist that I love. Her name's Caroline Spence. She's an Americana singer, Americana artist who I think is just superb. I love her music and it's really been helping me through various things in my life. And she did this cover of Bruce Springsteen's song, Secret Garden. And she just released it probably like a week within the last week or two. And I heard it for the first time, and I absolutely love her cover of it. And I just thought it was sort of this really sort of coincidental thing that she is covering the secret garden, and I hear it, in the same week that I'm talking about this film, The Secret Garden. Even though they're not connected, I mean, what Bruce Springsteen's singing about in that song is very different. And that was on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack, if I am correct. But I just thought it was this sort of interesting thing. You know, I don't tend to believe in signs, but I just think these coincidences are really interesting. Just like a few weeks ago when I did the Lee Chang Dong uh, podcast episode about his film Poetry, the day I was set to watch it was National Poetry Day, and I didn't know that. I had already planned ahead of time to watch it on that particular day. So I just think those little signs are sort of interesting. I don't put a lot of credence in them, but I do notice them them sometimes. This is what I would consider sort of a British film. Um, Agnieszka Holland, I, I believe, is a Polish director. Um, I want to double check on that, actually, before I... Yeah, I do believe she is a Polish director. She was born in Warsaw. Okay. I love Agnieszka's work. Um, I'm a really big fan of her films. And she's done some really great ones. But I would. this is a British story in many ways. And I am a huge fan of of British things. Like those of you who have listened before or you know me. I love British television. I love British movies. I watch a lot of British TV. Like, a lot. Um, I was a huge fan of Downton Abbey. And I love all the historical dramas that they put out. And I love the lady detective shows, whether it's Geraldine McEwen as Miss Marple or Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect. Um or Gillian Anderson in The Fall, um, or Scott and Bailey, or Happy Valley by Sally Wainwright. I really love British TV, and Britain itself, England in particular, really fascinates me. I've never traveled there. Of course, I would love to. I love British literature, like Virginia Woolf and the Bronte sisters, and, um, so I, I have this sort of love, this fascination with, with England, and in particular with English gardens. And there's something that really comforts me about English gardens. And recently I, I try to meditate a lot um, when I can. 
it's sort of something I've tried to really make like a daily practice. And sometimes when I'm meditating, I'll have sort of a visualization in my mind. Like I'll have something like an image in my head that's comforting and peaceful for me to think about when I'm meditating. And, um, and often it is a garden and specifically the secret garden. Some of the imagery of the film actually is what I go to when I'm trying to comfort myself or when I'm trying to meditate. And that's something that's really important to me. I mean, my dream is to like have an English garden. Like I would love I mean, in my dreams, you know what I mean? And I think I talked about this in another episode, but I just, I love flowers and I love gardens. And, um, so that's an, and maybe the origin of that is in this film. So, um, and I know I'm sort of meandering, but I really adore this film and I just finished watching it. And, um, I wanted to rewatch it for the episode, of course, because that's what I tend to do. Um, and I can't really convey how much I love this film, like the joy and the happiness that it brings me just watching it. But at the same time, it's sort of a bittersweet film because I think when, when we revisit films from our childhood, it can be a bittersweet experience. I was someone who had a great childhood. I know some people don't. Some people are not fortunate that they have a good childhood, but I did. I would actually say that my childhood, probably up to the age of 12 or 13, um, was the best time of my life. And that everything that came sort of after the age of 13 has been really devastating and difficult. And so those first 12 or 13 years were really my Eden in a way. And they were when I was whole and when I was happy and when I was safe. And, um, so it, there, films from my childhood comfort me, but they also hurt me because they transport me back to when I was a child. And it's hard to, it's hard to remember happiness. I mean, I know that's a weird thing to say, but it hurts to remember how happy you once were and to remember a happiness that you will never have again. Uh, a joy that is gone forever. Um, it's just difficult. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about not just this film, but the experience of watching a film from your childhood. And I think those are the films that often stay with us the most and they can have the deepest impact are the films that we see as children. Um, I don't think we ever watch films or read books in quite the same way as when we are children. And um, because I think we are fully open to them. And I think that our sense of wonder and our sense of awe is much more powerful. And, and you can, when you're a child, you almost don't know the difference between reality and fantasy. And you're able to, I think, get completely wrapped up in a book or a film and completely transported by it in a way that when you're an adult, you can't quite achieve. And, um... 
But I grew up on films like The Secret Garden and A Little Princess and even like I have an episode from a few months ago about made-for-TV movies from the 1990s. I grew up on those, the films that you sort of saw on Lifetime, the, you know, the, the, that, the cable channel Lifetime. So I don't think a lot of us grow up watching art house cinema. You know, I don't think it's something that you come out of the womb doing. I wasn't watching Ingmar Bergman when I was 10 years old. Maybe some people are, and that's great. I was watching Turner Classic Movies, so I was watching, you know, The Wizard of Oz and old black and white films. So, you know, I was watching some more serious films when I was a kid, but I was also watching The Secret Garden and films like that. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we can like both. That I'm 28 and I watch Ingmar Bergman and I watch Andrei Tarkovsky and I watch Krzysztof Kieślowski, who is my favorite director ever, um, and I watch... Uh, Yasujiro Ozu and Abbas Kiristami and Sachajet Ray. And I love those films and I talk about them on this podcast. And I think they're superb and they have enriched my life immeasurably. But those films that I watched as a child are just as powerful for me. And they have shaped me in ways that I don't even probably understand. And they are comforting, and they are films that I think have a certain validity as well, and they have something to say. So I think we can love all of it. You know, you don't have to just love Art House, and then you have to throw away everything you watched as a kid, like the Disney movies, for instance, or something, you know. You can love those those films and then you can also love the more artistically nuanced films that you discover when you're a more sort of mature adult. And I think there can be an unwillingness within the cinephile world, within the, the film world, to engage with both. To engage with both the high and the low art. But I enjoy doing that. I I love that on this podcast you can listen to me talk about the Apu trilogy by Sachajet Ray, which is really important in world cinema. And then you can hear me talk about movies from the 1990s that were on the Lifetime Network. <laughs> or you can hear me talk about The Secret Garden. All of that is part of me. And it can all be part of me. I can contain all of that. I can love all of that. I don't have to pick and choose. And if if I am trying to say anything in this podcast, it's that, that you can like all of it. And you can like films that may have some problematic aspects to them, too. You can revisit a film and realize, oh my gosh, you know, that was maybe, that had some issues. But that doesn't mean that it didn't have some value in your life as well, or it didn't affect you in some way. And revisiting these films is really emotional for me. I actually rewatched The Secret Garden several years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was at this point. I want to say it was my pre-internet days. So I want to say before 2010, um, I probably rewatched the film. And I watched it within a specific context at that time. As some of you know who have listened to the podcast for a long time, 
my father died when I was 16 years old, and that was in 2006. And as many of you may know, it was devastating for me, and it was a dividing line in my life. He actually was, when I say my life sort of took a downturn at 13, it's because it was around that time that he got sick. And then for a few years, he went through a lot of, you know, health issues. And then he died in 2006, but his death was still very unexpected. And it was, it didn't really need to happen. And a lot of stuff uh, was going on with all that that I'll probably never talk about publicly because it's just too devastating and too painful. But, um, so his death was this dividing point and it destroyed me. And I, I talk about this openly. I am a broken person. I am broken. I am shattered. I will never be the same. And I struggle. I struggle with mental illness that is a part of his death, part of the grief, you know, depression, anxiety, um, a darkness came over my life when he passed away and it's never really lifted. And I struggle a lot with poverty. I struggle a lot financially because I'm working class and I grew up poor and working class. So I've just, I've been through a lot and he died in 2006. My grandmother died in 2007 my uncle died in 2009. So by the time I was 20, all these people were gone. I, I put it as I went to three funerals in three years. And I don't know how I survived it. And I don't know how I continue to survive it. But I somehow do. And films are really an important part of that. So I watched this film, The Secret Garden, a few years after his death. I want to say, you know, at some point between 2006 and 2010, I watched The Secret Garden. And um, it was probably the first time I had seen it since I was a really, really young child. And it absolutely tore me apart. I still remember. I still remember being in the living room of my house that I lost uh, recently my childhood home that I had lived in for a quarter of a century, you know, more than 25 years. And that's been devastating to lose my house. Um, and I talk about that in an episode on House of Sand and Fog. Um, but I still, I remember being in the living room and I remember watching The Secret Garden and I just sobbed throughout most of that film or like, I think near the end of it, especially. And, um, it had such a profound impact on me. Um, it's almost like I, I finally realized that the past was gone, that the, my childhood was gone. And I've often felt like my childhood was stolen from me in a way that, like I say, by age 13, things started to just fall apart. And I didn't really get to be a teenager. I didn't get to be some kind of carefree, happy teenager. And I've never had that. I mean, since the age of 13 to, to now, it's just, it's been so difficult constantly, a constant struggle, you know, to get through life. And so, um, 
it's just been really difficult. It was really difficult. And watching the film again, it's like, I don't even know how to put it into words that, but that emotional reaction was very intense. And it was just, it was a reminder of everything that was gone. You know, that the last time I had watched this film, my dad was probably alive. And, and, um, you know, at the end of the film, the, the message is renewal. The message is hope. And I didn't feel that in my own life. And I still don't feel that. And so I think it was a sense of grief that my life would never be like that again. That I didn't have hope anymore or that everything was gone and everything had been taken away from me. And, um... It was really hard, and I just remember sobbing and sobbing after watching it. I wish I could articulate it better, but it was this sense that everything is gone, that my childhood is really over. It is over, and I can't go back, and I can't change anything, and I can't relive those years, and I can't have any of it back, and it's gone forever, and just as my father, you know, is gone forever, and... You know, that's a hard thing to deal with. It really is. And I think watching this film, watching films from your childhood, you really feel connected to your childhood again and to the magic and the wonder and the adventure of being a child, which I think is an important reason to watch these films, even if you're an adult. Because I think films about children, films that sort of marginalize adults and center children, they have a certain power to them because I think children see the world in a different way. And I think there is a validity in, in trying to hold on to the child inside you, to the, to the thing in you that believes in imagination and believes in magic and believes in things that the adult world puts down, you know. I think it's really easy in this world to be hard and cynical and cold and distant, and I often feel that way myself, and I don't like that I feel that way, and I don't like who I have become in many ways, but it's hard when you go through a lot of difficult things in life. But I really do... I think these films and revisiting them can remind you of who you were as a child because even though thinking about my childhood is difficult, I like who I was as a kid. Like, I was really curious about the world and I was really a very feeling and empathetic person and I still am. I'm extremely sensitive. Losing my father and a lot of the loss that I've gone through has made me even more sensitive, even more empathetic, but it can be hard to exist in the world in that way when a lot of people in the world are not sensitive and they're not empathetic and there's a lot of dehumanization and inhumanity and really ugly, horrible things that happen every day. But I think it's important to try to hold on to that child's view a little bit. I mean, yes, you have to become an adult. You have to take on responsibility. 
you have to face things you know I get that aspect of it you can't be a child forever but I think there are things worth holding on to from your childhood and I think when you're a child you're much more open to the world and you're much more sensitive and feeling and I mean at least I was you know what I mean like and I did have a sense of hope and I did have a sense of wonder and awe and I I do try to hold on to those things you know so I haven't even talked about the film I know <laughs> I'm just I'm going on about other things but um I'll talk more about the film now I just I really wanted to talk about what it means to watch a film from your childhood as an adult and I think that's an experience worth talking about and I think it can be a transformative experience and an emotional experience and that's what I have with the secret garden but for those of you who have not seen the film or you have I mean there will be spoilers I will be talking about the film in depth but it's about a young girl named Mary Lennox and she's 10 years old she's born in India to a very wealthy family and to really parents who don't care about her she's a rich child but she's a very lonely and a lone child her parents end up dying in an earthquake in India and Mary is sent to England to live with her uncle his name is Lord Craven so she becomes an orphan and so she undergoes this huge trauma you know she under she goes through this earthquake her parents die and she's completely um, she's completely adrift in many ways she's unloved she's lonely everything has been taken from her and she has lost everything and because of that she's very cold in a way and she lacks emotion and really the point of this story the point of the the film and I have not read the book so I don't know how closely the film hues to the book that's for those of you who have read the book to judge but it's not something that I can bring anything to because I haven't read it I've always wanted to read it so maybe I will one day but the point of this story this film is to show her transformation and evolution how she finds connection and how she finds a home and a sense of home through her relationships with other people and this is a film about connection for me and I think it's why it also resonates with me because connection has always eluded me in a lot of ways and I struggle to connect to other people and I always have and Mary ends up when she goes to her uncle's manor she meets a young boy who live who works sort of on the manor they call it the manor and um, his name is Dickon and he's a little bit older than her and then she meets her uncle's son her cousin and his name is Colin and so the three of them develop this really strong powerful friendship and um and that's a really beautiful thing and she finds the secret garden and I'll go into that in a moment but she's really brought back to life through her friendship with Dickon and Colin 
and um and by the garden itself and by love and so it's really about how people can bring one another back to life through love and attention and caring and connection and that's what i take away from this a lot i think mary is a really fascinating character as I say at the beginning, she's a bit cold. The children at the orphanage that she goes to before she goes to England, they call, they do that song, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? They make fun of her because she doesn't cry and she doesn't show emotion. But she's determined, she's headstrong, she's difficult at times, but she has to be. She refuses to play by the rules when she gets to the manor and and um so in many ways i think she's quite unruly and those of you who have listened to other episodes i sort of have this ongoing thing called the cinema of the unruly woman and it's about women who don't play by the rules and women who sort of don't conform to gender norms and who are difficult and riotous and um excessive and outside the bounds and so I think Mary would be an unruly girl, you know, that she is uncontrollable. Um, when she arrives at the manor, she starts to change things and she upends everything. And um, so she's this character who is very active and she's a very, she's an active participant in things. And she propels the film forward with her actions and she's not just a sweet, she's not a sweet little girl, you know, she's complicated and she's mad and she's angry at times, but she's also very sensitive too and powerful, I think. She arrives in England, it's very bleak, it's like fall or winter, she wears black probably for reasons of mourning um and she goes to the manor her uncle's manor his name is lord craven and his wife was mary's is mary's aunt her mother's sister and they were twin sisters and mary's mother died and the aunt died as well and um so because she's died because the aunt has died Lord Craven is very distant. He is someone who is obviously profoundly affected by his wife's death. It's been about a decade. It's been about 10 years, but he is still very affected by it. And, um, and that's why he's very distant. And it's very interesting when Mary arrives, she really struggles to adjust to life at the manor it's a dark place maggie smith is in it maggie smith plays um plays a woman named medlock mrs medlock and she's sort of a housekeeper or a maid or she runs things um around the house and she's quite difficult but maggie smith is really wonderful and i always love seeing her in things but mary because she's rich because she comes from a certain background she expects to be waited on and she expects to be treated in a particular way but she finds out pretty quickly that she has to take care of herself that she's not going to be coddled she's not going to be 
um, dressed. She expects um, a young woman named Martha, who is sort of like a housekeeper at the manor, and she's probably a teenager. She looks like she's maybe 15. She expects Martha to dress her, and, you know, Martha's not going to do that. So Mary has to really get used to that, you know. And because Mary comes from privilege, she is obsessed with status, and she really looks down on the housekeepers and the maids. She considers them beneath her and at her service. So you really see these class issues at play, like which really predates something like Downton Abbey or Gosford Park, where you're seeing the upstairs and the downstairs in a way, where you're seeing the, the working class, the maids, and... And Mary sees them as her servants, and she sort of looks down at them at first. And, um, and Martha, Martha is very kind to her, though, and very playful. And um, it was interesting to see a bit of that class dynamic there, because Martha's a teenager, and she doesn't get to be a teenager. She doesn't get to have a carefree life the way that Mary does. She has to work you know, and you really see that, and, um, a, a major character in this film is the house itself, is the manor, and it's really on the moors of England, it really reminded me of sort of where the Bronte sisters lived, I don't know where this was set, actually, um, but there's definitely, like, moors, it's like in the middle of nowhere, really, um, but it's this huge house with secret rooms and hidden doors. And I think as a child, those things always sort of fascinated me was, um, you know, films where there were all these secret compartments and what kid wouldn't love sort of exploring a house like that. And I remember I had this dream once years and years ago, and it was a dream where I was in this huge house and there were all these different rooms and compartments and I was like exploring all of them. And I don't know why that comes to me, but that was just something that, um, that I remember having this very intense dream about. And so that was something that came back to me when I was watching this was all those rooms and how fascinating that was. And as I said, Lord Craven, since the death of his wife, he's very disconnected from everything and everyone around him. He's often away from the manor. And the secret garden that Mary discovers was actually his wife's garden. And it was a garden where she spent a lot of time. And so he had it locked. Nobody was allowed to go into it. Obviously, it held too many memories for him. And so the locking of the garden is really connected to his grief. And this is a film about grief in some ways, and it's about loss. You know, Mary loses her parents. Um, Lord Craven has lost his wife. His son, Colin, you know, loses his mother. So there's a lot of loss there. Mary ends up finding a key to the garden that unlocks it. And it's just this very dead and lifeless place. As I said, it's like the middle of winter. And um, <clears throat> she starts to become friends with Dickon. And um, 
she finally discovers Colin. Colin is hidden away. He lives in this sort of secret room. No one talks about him. He's her cousin, obviously. They, um, their mothers were twins. And um, he struggles with illness, and he's also 10 years old. Um, he is the same age as Mary is. So they connect a little bit through the fact that they've both lost a mother. Um, but Colin's been bedridden his entire life. He never goes outside. He never sees the sunshine. <clears throat> he's basically been told that he's going to die, that he has all kinds of ailments, and his father refuses to see him. And so Mary and Dickon plant um, plant a bunch of seeds and bulbs in the secret garden. And they do that so that when spring comes, the garden will flourish and the garden will be very beautiful. And, um, and spring does come and it's really glorious. Um, I absolutely love the way this film shows nature how it shows gardens um, and the secret garden in particular and it seems to me like Holland the director really revels in the colors and the beauty and the flowers and the way they break through the surface of the soil um, this dark and overgrown garden is completely transformed into a lush flower-laden Eden you know it's like this very Edenic place and um, it's interesting how Holland uses sort of this time-lapse imagery to show the roots growing in the soil and the stems rising from the earth. And it's to me, it's like this visual metaphor for Mary's own gradual transformation that we're watching throughout the film. Because that's what we're watching. You know, it, the beginning of the film is dark and drab and bleak. It's you know it's cold and it's rainy and and she's wearing black and even Colin himself too Colin is in this dark room hidden away like he's this dark terrible secret that his father can't bear to look at and he's very pale and he has rings under his eyes and he looks much older than 10 and he's basically withering away in the darkness and um and so if you think about it with a garden with these bulbs with these seeds they need sunlight to grow you know the darkness nothing happens in the darkness with these gardens they need air they need sunshine and it's sort of similar with Mary and Colin that when they get that sunshine when they get that light they start to transform and grow and change and of course their relationship with each other is a kind of fertilizer as well and and um and is a catalyst for growth and dickon as well you know when dickon mary and colin become friends that acts as a kind of fertilizer and all of them become more alive and they all start to blossom in such interesting ways and really shows i think the power of friendship and the power of connection. Um, 
but there's this whole sequence that Holland shows of flowers opening up, like one after the other, roses, and I don't know, I don't know different flowers, unfortunately, so I don't know the different species, but it's just one after the other, these gorgeous, you know, flowers opening and, and blossoming, and it's just, it was such a pleasure to watch, like, like I say, I love flowers, I love gardens, I don't get to see any, you know, but I see them on, like, TV and in movies, and it was just such a, it's like in the middle of the film, and it's just stunning and gorgeous, and that is the thing about this film, is that it's just, aesthetically, it is just beautiful to look at and to watch, especially once the secret garden starts to become lush and fecund and, um, just overgrown with all these blossoms and it's like how can you not just be overwhelmed by it it's it's so beautiful and as i say you know colin undergoes this transformation from someone really confined in his dark bedroom he's told that he's going to die he's told that he can't walk that he has these lumps on his body that things are wrong with his legs and he he leaves that room and he enters the world with Mary and Dickon and they help him do that and he eventually does walk and he learns that there was really nothing wrong with him he was just sort of shoved away into that room and I love how they help each other by pushing each other you know they push Colin outside of his comfort zone a little bit you know they they push him to get out of the bed. They push him to go to the garden. And he starts to blossom. And he starts to really come alive, as I say. And his transformation is... Um, it would not happen without Mary and Dickon. But especially Mary. Mary is the catalyst for so much in this film. That before she gets there, the manor is... It's a dark, drab sad place there's a sense of despair there's a sense of gloom hanging over this place because of the grief because of the inability for lord craven to connect with colin and his avoidance of colin and mary comes and she won't play by the rules and she upends everything as i said and the and the force of her brings people together you know and she changes in the process and all of them change in the process and I really love how the secret garden itself is it's this place of magic and memory it's where Colin's mother often spent a lot of time and I think a lot of Lord Craven's memories are tied to that garden um, of her so it's the the secret garden represents this connection to Colin's mother for Colin you know Colin wanted to go to the garden because he had seen I think pictures of his mother in the garden or he had been told that she spent a lot of time there and Mary and Dickon take him to it obviously and that's where he first walks and they really just love the garden and it makes all of them so happy and they just love spending time there and there's like lambs and there's birds and there's rabbits and it's this place of of glorious life 
of animals and flowers and it's this place of renewal of regeneration of um of beauty and it was a reminder for me you know when you're a child I think often when you're a child you're much more connected to nature I know that I was and this film reminded me that I did a lot of things that the kids in this film do you know they roam around they they go places they probably shouldn't go and they explore um, the landscape and I was the same way I grew up in the rural south I grew up in North Carolina I don't live there anymore um, but that was my home North Carolina was my home and um, when I was growing up I used to wander through the woods and play in the woods and that's why I love trees and I love meadows and I love the country um, it's not easy living in the rural south it's very conservative it's very religious um, I think that's probably why I've always had a trouble connecting to people because I have very different interests not saying I'm better not saying that what other people are interested in around here is bad but you know rural America you know it's a lot about football it's a lot about sports it's a lot about you know things like that and there's not you know art house theaters in rural America so you know I was someone that was always into like literature and cinema and poetry and art you know art galleries and things like that so I've never been to an art gallery but that's something that obviously would interest me I've never been to a museum or anything like that but um so I just had different interests right and um but at the same time I always loved the landscape and the the woods and the grass and the trees and and I still live in a rural area and I I love those things I really do and I think when you grow up in the country it's it's hard to leave it the city or or more urban landscapes it's just not the same like I'm used to seeing fireflies and I'm used to seeing the stars at night and that's just part of me it's just part of who I am and what I love and to leave that is really hard for a lot of people I think and um so when I was watching the film it reminded me of sort of my own childhood and the things that I used to do as a kid and how connected I felt to nature and how nature was such a comfort to me and such a healing thing and you know I used to just spend hours outside in the woods and um, just roaming around that sense of adventure that sense of wonder that sense of magic um, that was definitely with me as a child and um, watching this film again I was definitely reminded of that and at the end Lord Craven returns and he goes to the garden finally and he sees Colin walking and he sees Colin you know moving around and he's just absolutely stunned you know um I guess he had really believed that Colin was ill and um I tried to take a sip of water just give me a second So he sees Colin walking and it's this really gorgeous moment uh, between the two of them and I got to thinking 
about the relationship between Lord Craven and um, and Colin. And I think I think he isolated Colin and avoided him for two reasons. First, Lord Craven had lost his wife and he didn't want to lose his child. He had already gone through a devastating loss. And I think he thought if he could lock Colin up, if he could lock him away, that he could keep that he could keep him safe and he could keep him away from things that could kill him. So he was really trying to protect Colin, I think, from death and from dying because um, he was terrified to lose him. Second, I think he kept his distance from Colin because he didn't want to get close to him and then lose him. And I think that, um, I don't think he could bear to really love Colin and to be connected to Colin and then lose him in some way and something happened to him the way that his wife died. So the end of this film really gives us a reunification, a reunion of father and son. Lord Craven is finally able to open his heart to his son. And I know that's a cliche phrase, but I love it. He opens his heart to Colin and opens his arms to Colin and is finally able to love him and to have a relationship with him. He can finally risk loving him because loving someone is a risk because in loving someone you can lose them that is always the risk of love is that the person you love can die or they can leave you and I think Lord Craven is finally able to take that risk and to love Colin or to show love to Colin to Colin he's also able in the process to open his heart up to Mary Mary, who was an orphan, who is unloved and alone and at the beginning of the film, and I feel like at the end of the film, she finds another family with Lord Craven, with Colin, with Dickon, and that all of them sort of become a family together. And I think that Lord Craven is, is able to open his heart to Mary, and I think that he will in some ways become a surrogate father for her or a second father to her. And so for me, this really is a film about love and about people who at one time could not connect to each other. When she first shows up at the manor, Lord Craven is very distant and he will not even talk to her hardly or, or see her. Um, he keeps his distance very much from her. And by the end of the film, through the cultivation of the garden and through the transformation of Colin and Mary, there is a transformation of Lord Craven as well. And all of them are able to come together, but especially Mary, Colin, and Lord Craven. And they become a family. And it's really about all of them being alive again. They really are brought back to life just the way that um, the garden is brought back to life. And Lord Craven says as much to Mary. He says, you brought us back to life. I think those were the gist of his words. And um, I think that's very true, that that Mary brings everybody back to life, that Colin is alive and Lord Craven is as well. And they were sort of imprisoned 
I think, in their own isolation. And Lord Craven especially was imprisoned in his grief, I think, and his mourning of, of his wife. And he's able to, I think, finally love again and to love these children and to open his heart to these children who desperately need him and desperately need to be loved. Mary needs love. Children need love. I mean, it's so damaging, I think, when you're a child and you're not loved. And I myself was so fortunate to have love when I was growing up through my parents. That was my main source of love was my, my mother and father. And so that's why I think this film is just so powerful. And when I revisit it, I'm just astonished by it. And I think Agnieszka Holland did a superb job with this film. And I know it was made in 1993. I know it's like considered sort of a children's film, but as a 28 year old, you know, cinephile, I actually find a great deal of beauty and a great deal of um, depth to this film. I think it's one of those, you know, some things you'll rewatch when you're older and you'll wonder, what in the world was I thinking? I mean, I have I have watched some shows and some films that when I was a kid, I loved them. I thought they were just everything. And then I rewatched them and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what was I thinking? You know, this is terrible. Um, this is like, for instance, I really loved the show, Are You, Are you Afraid of the Dark? That used to come on Nickelodeon, right? in the 90s and I rewatched that like I don't know a few years ago and when I was a kid this show used to terrify me like I would watch Are You Afraid of the Dark and I would be so scared and then I watched it I rewatched it older and I was like this is not scary <laughs> I was like this is so cheesy um but when I was a kid you know I was so scared and um yeah it didn't have the same impact at all um <laughs> but the secret garden absolutely has the same impact on me and um i did not have the same emotional reaction that i had a few years ago where i was just crying and sobbing and Actually, I got all my crying out the other night. I had a really big breakdown and was just sobbing and sobbing just about things going on in my life and just the difficulties and my sense of shame that I carry with me always and my sense of failure and the sense that my life is passing me by and I'm not doing anything with my life, that I'm wasting my life in some way and that this sense that I can't be normal and I can't be okay. You know, I'm a very broken person, as I've said, and I struggle with anxiety and depression. And that means that I can't live in the way that other people live, that I have fears and anxieties and I have issues doing things that other people don't. And, um, and I wish very much that I could be a different person, that I could be a better, stronger more resilient person and a more accomplished person and I just constantly feel like a failure and I constantly feel ashamed of, of myself and my life and so I was crying and crying the other night and so 
I didn't have anything left when I was watching this film. Watching this film this time was actually a pleasure and was actually like a comfort to to see the garden again. Oh, to see the garden again. To revisit it. Um, to see the flowers and the animals and you know, to see um to see Mary and Colin and Dick and it was almost like when I watched it this time it was like visiting an old friend that you really love and that's what it felt like this time and that's actually a really nice feeling and um I just really ad adore this film for that reason and um I think it's really interesting the dynamic between Mary Dickon and Colin because Mary and Colin are cousins but Colin is actually kind of in love with Mary and he says at one point that he wants to marry her but then there's this other scene where you can tell that Mary and Dickon are very connected and that Colin is jealous of their connection and I was like it would be really interesting for somebody to revisit that threesome in a way that not a threesome but a love triangle it's sort of a love triangle in a way a little bit and I ha I find myself wondering you know what would be the dynamic between Colin Dickon and Mary as they got older and I think that would be something sort of interesting to explore to think about of you know when they're children they you know there's not that romantic aspect to it there's not this the sexuality to it but obviously as they became teenagers and adults, would they remain friends? Would two of them fall in love, you know, and then the other one feels like a third wheel or the other one gets jealous? I'm actually kind of fascinated by love triangles and they sort of interest me and, you know, I've like read books and movies about love triangles because there's, it's a very dramatic thing, I think, you know, when everybody starts out friends and then something starts to develop between two people and then it completely changes the dynamic but I was thinking about that with the three of them that yeah they're like 10 they're like you know two of them are 10 Dickens a little bit older I guess like 12 or 13 I wonder how that relationship would develop it was just something I thought about when I was watching it it's just something you know I just wonder like if they made a sequel <laughs> Please don't, though. Please don't make a sequel. Hollywood, just all they do is make sequels these days, right? You know, like, there's nothing original being created anymore. They just want to remake things or do sequels to them. And I hope to God that this never gets remade and that there's never a sequel made of this because it's so perfect the way that it is. And it does not need to be touched at all. It's just this gorgeous film where I feel like everything came together. You have brilliant direction with Agnieszka Cajal, and you've got a great executive producer in Francis Ford Coppola. You've got an exquisite soundtrack, and I still listen to the soundtrack on a regular basis um, by Preisner, um, who also did a lot of soundtracks for Krzysztof Kieślowski, like for The Double Life of Veronique and... Um, and the Three Colors trilogy. So it's just everything about this film is perfect and it, it just comes together beautifully and um, I think if you watched this film when you were younger and you haven't revisited it, I think you should. You know, if it's one of those films, it's a comfort film. If you're at a low point in your life or you're struggling or you're having a hard day or you're having a hard week, 
I think this could be a really sweet, beautiful film to revisit. It's currently streaming on Netflix as of October 2017. I don't know how long it's going to be on Netflix, but that's where it is right now. That's where I rewatched it. And um, yeah, it's just like such a beautiful film and it holds up. I mean, it's 24 years old at this point and it absolutely holds up and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of cinema, I think. And uh, it just gives me so many feelings and emotions and that's why I wanted to talk about it in this podcast. And so I think these films from <clears throat> from our childhoods are worth revisiting some of them. And I think they can, they can give you insight, I think, and they can connect you to your childhood in many ways and to the child that you were. And, and, um, so I definitely recommend doing that, but I'll stop here. I think I've talked enough about this film. Uh, thanks so much for listening until next time. Keep watching great films. Bye for now.